let's pray. Let's get started. I apologize for all that. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. God, as the word of God, your word goes forth, I pray that you would help me. Help me, Lord, to decrease so that you can increase. To become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would get me out of the way this morning. That your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear you and see you. Be glorified in your word this morning. Be honored, be praised, be lifted up in your word this morning. Help me. And help me not to compromise. Help me not to to hold back. Help me to be as honest as your word gives me the authority to be. I pray that you would give your people listening ears, discerning minds, open hearts. And I pray that through this all you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you guys know, we... We are taking a a short break from our exposition of the Gospel of John. When we return with that Gospel, we will be back in chapter 5. But last week, we we did something I believe that is of great importance. We addressed an issue, a subject, that is important right now, especially in the culture. And that is the the movement of the same-sex attracted community. And it's even hard for me to say community, but the same sex attracted movement. Some have have maybe wondered, why did we go to the extent of taking a Sunday, taking off the Gospel of John and dealing with that subject? I believe that that subject was important to address because it's an attack, especially on Christianity, I believe. But it's an attack on creation, as Vody Bauckham said last week. But I also believe it's an, it's an attack on the, the relevancy and the inerrancy of the scriptures. I'm going to say that again. I believe that it is an attack on the relevancy and the inerrancy of the scriptures. I believe that it's an attack on the inerrancy because it asks questions about God's word. Did God really say this in his word? And I believe it's the same attack that the serpent, the devil, started when he asked Eve in the garden, has God really said? The attack has not changed. It may look different. It may have gone from just on the outside looking like merely a piece of fruit to now it being this controversy that we're dealing with. But the approach is the same. The result is the same. The approach is questioning God. The result is the same. It results in sin and separation from God. So do not be fooled by all of the different things that the media is trying to. I even saw a commercial recently. And it's a big screen. You stand behind the screen and it's nothing but bones. And then the bones come out and it's all these different kinds of examples that color doesn't matter, love doesn't matter, race just doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, all these things don't matter because behind it we're just skin and or we're just bones. That's the approach that they're trying to get to you. The approach is simply 
It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It's that old John Lennon song. Imagine. Imagine there is none of these things. Imagine none of these things exist. Well, they do exist because God created them to exist. And even though we don't like the fact that that's what God said, because we're rebels in our hearts, that's what God said. Amen. I believe it's also a question of relevancy. Relevant is, are the scriptures relevant? Yes, they are. Of course they are. But this movement will try to tell you that times have changed. And even people who don't necessarily, who are not necessarily a part of that movement will say to you, times have changed. Things are no longer the same. But God's not changed. And the same God that condemned the lands of Sodom and Gomorrah thousands of years ago for those sins is the same God who exists today, who is still relevant today, and who is going to judge and is judging this present day Sodom and Gomorrah. To answer your question, Ophelia, yes, it is. It is still as relevant today as it is back then. Don't be fooled. Don't be swayed. Don't compromise. Stand on this. This is the only thing that you have as your weapon. And it is the strongest thing in the universe. Today, though, today we are going to address a, a doctrine that we are commanded to practice. And I believe it's important for us to understand why we practice this sacrament in order for us to to glorify God and to benefit from this command in the way that God has intended for us to benefit from this command. Of course, you know that I'm speaking about the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or communion. It appears to me that when we begin to introduce not new, but maybe new to me and you understandings of why we take communion and how we take communion and who can take communion. It seemed to me like more questions were raised than were answered. So we're going to spend this week and next week discussing communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper in order for us to get a good grasp on what we are doing, why we are doing what we are doing this morning and what we will be doing frequently. So that when you come to the Lord's table, you're not coming just to take advantage of the crackers and juice because your stomach is rumbling in church. You're coming because it is an act of worship that we'll talk about this morning. But what is the Lord's Supper? What does it represent and why do we partake in the Lord's Supper? Who can partake in the Lord's Supper? What, if any, are the benefits of partaking in the Lord's Supper and how often? Should we partake in the Lord's Supper? There's a number of questions, obviously. These are all great questions, and I think they're important for you to understand. So in order for us to have a context of, of where we're getting all this from, let's, let's go to Luke chapter 22. This is that, where I was meaning to tell my brother to go. I apologize. Today. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14, and we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 22, 14. Let's stand. Amen. Verse 14. And when the hour had came or come came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. When the Lord first brought us to the understanding of Reformed theology, he set us on a journey in order to begin to order our church in ways that honor and glorify him. This would mean that we would be going directly against the modern church today. The modern church with its seeker-friendly approach. We would also be going against the emergent church with its idea that whatever you think is okay, we would be looking at the Bible as our source for what we should practice and what we should be doing when we gather here to worship. So, we know when we come to worship, according to the scriptures, we should be singing songs of worship. Amen. We know that when we come together for this time of worship, we should be reading the word of God. Amen. We know that when we come together, we should be preaching the word of God. We should be praying together. There should be an offering and there should be the Lord's Supper. Amen. These things are the things that God has commanded. And it is our responsibility to faithfully obey all that God has commanded his church to do. And the things that God has not commanded his church to do. Those are the things that we must drop. Amen. If we're making up things that are either not commanded or implied in Scripture, then we're just making things up as we go. So we started looking at Scripture and saying, what is God commanded? And that's why you've seen a, a lot of change. It doesn't seem like a lot of change, but maybe it is. A lot of change in the church because we're trying to look at Scripture and say, how can we be more biblical? How can we look at the Scriptures and obey Him more? then we should do those things. We believe that God has commanded all of these things that we've just talked about, listen closely now, as a means of grace. We believe that God has commanded all of these things as a means of grace. Now, let me explain that statement because it should be explained. What do you mean by a means of grace? I do not mean grace to justify you. I don't mean as a means to justify you. I don't mean that when you partake of this, when we read the word, when we pray, when we worship, that's not a way to justify you before God. That's not a way to make you right before God. Does that make sense? What it does do, though, what the preaching of the word does, what prayer does, what worship songs do, what taking of communion, what fellowship does is it helps you to grow in grace helps you to grow in holiness. It helps you to build your faith in Christ when you've commanded, when you've obeyed all of these things that he's commanded you. Does that make sense? So when you come to church, you're not coming as an act of being justified. You're coming to grow 
You're coming to be built up in your faith. You're coming to grow in understanding. These are a means of grace that God has given you to do what? To grow. Okay? This is also a part of that means of growth. That means of building up your faith. So let's take that conversation of growing in grace or growing as a means of grace, being built up in your faith. Let's take that to the Lord's table. Let's take that to the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's table and what is the reason why we come? So that's the first question. What is the Lord's table? Number one, what is the Lord's table? We mention that term or we see that term in 1 Corinthians 11.20. It says this. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Paul was basically addressing that the Lord's table was being used for abuses. But the term the Lord's Supper is found there. But it was a normal meal, a normal evening meal. Supper, normal evening meal. Now, if you add the Lord to it, it gives it much greater significance. It is the Lord's meal. It is the Lord's supper. Does that make sense? Okay. This meal now is held in obedience to the command that Christ gave to have this meal in remembrance of him. And the sacrifice of his of his body and of his blood. We see this in Matthew 26, 26, Mark 14, 22. Luke twenty two fourteen, which is what we're reading this morning. And then in John chapter 13, we see this beautiful picture of all the things that are not mentioned in the synoptic gospels of what else went on during that Passover meal. We're going to talk about that Passover meal in just a moment. But we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. We see Peter resisting that wash and Jesus saying, you have no part of me, part in me. If I do not wash your feet. I mean, just a beautiful picture of all of the the intimacy that was going on during that night. So what is the Lord's Supper? Simple. It is a meal that has been set apart for the purpose of remembering the body of Christ that was broken and the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. That's the short answer. Now, let's get to to the long answer of what that really is. Here's another question. Number two question I have. What specifically are we remembering? Now, I say specifically so that we can get into the specifics in just a moment. What are we mindfully doing each time we take communion? What are the specifics and what are we mindfully doing each time we come to the Lord's table? Now, it may seem like I've already answered this question. And perhaps I have. But I'd like to give you the long, drawn out answer so that you can completely grasp this great truth. Here's the answer. We are remembering what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We are remembering what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. So we are coming to the Lord's table and looking back at what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. This is the covenantal sin atoning love that the Lord Jesus had for us. When he accomplished our salvation on the cross. Luke twenty two fourteen says this. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Now I want you to listen closely. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Jesus said that he has earnestly desired to do what? 
to have this meal with them before he suffers. But, but what meal was it? The Passover meal. What is the significance of the Passover meal? Here's, here's a, a, a better question or a deeper question. What is the Passover? Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. The Passover, if you're taking notes, is the tenth plague that the Lord God had inflicted upon the Egyptians for the hardness of their hearts in refusing to free the people of Israel and allow them to go worship the Lord God in the desert. In Exodus chapter 12, the Lord commanded the congregation of Israel to take a lamb without blemish, without spot, a perfect lamb, and to, and to kill it at twilight. Verse 7 of Exodus 12 says this, Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Now stop there. What is the Lord commanded them to do? He's commanded them to take a perfect lamb, kill that lamb, take the blood from that lamb, and put it on the doorpost. Now you may hear these things and say, yes, 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 I know those things. I saw the prince of Egypt, or whatever it was. I know these things. I, I understand. But here's a point that, that I am recently just finding out. And I, feel, I think we kind of overlook. Verse 8 says this. They shall eat the flesh that night. Which night? The night of the Passover. Roasted on the fire. They're going to have a barbecue. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs so that they shall eat it. We don't really hear that part of the story, do we? We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 12 says this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Get the picture of this. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Who, I, I just want you to point. I just want you to listen to a few things. What's going to protect them? The blood. Who's coming to destroy? God, not the angel of death. God is coming. He says, I'm going to come through. Do we miss that part too? No. I'm coming through. I'm coming to destroy. Yes. Wow. wow. And if you have blood over your do doorpost, you're safe. Verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a what? As a feast to the Lord. You are to remember this day, and when you do, eat. Eat. Enjoy it through all your generations as a statue to you forever. He says again, you shall keep it as a feast. Don't forget, you're going to eat. Do you see what's happening here? The Lord is preparing to kill the firstborn of the land as judgment on Egypt, but as an act of grace and mercy, God is going to spare those who by faith place blood of, of the spotless lamb on their doorpost of their homes. Now, we tend to think that as the Lord is passing through Egypt, they are all cowering in fear. 
But instead, there's a command to have a barbecue and to eat. So while the Lord, and I'm sure they were afraid, but as the Lord is passing through, they're eating. Why are they eating? Are they eating just to eat, to celebrate? They are not just eating to eat. They are eating to celebrate, yes, a covenant that God is establishing and making with them that night. He's making a promise. He's establishing a contract between his people and himself. And he's saying, and the way that we're going to celebrate the covenant is, we're going to eat. We are going, you're going to eat. What was the covenant? Sparing the lives of his people. And the promise was, I'm passing through. The blood that was shed, blood is shed during cutting a covenant. The blood that was shed is the blood of a lamb. You cut the lamb, the blood is the sign of the covenant. Here I come. You and I are in covenant together. I will not destroy you. So eat and celebrate. Does that make sense? Did he have to do that? No. Could he have just said, I'm wiping Israel and Egypt, all of you out, because you're all born in sin? Yes, he could have done that. Rightfully so. But for the sake of his name. For the sake of his glory, he calls out his own people and spares their lives so that the people can turn around and glorify God for his goodness. It's about him, but they benefit from his goodness. Fast forward now. A few thousand years to Luke 22. There is Jesus with his disciples celebrating as God commanded the Passover. And what are they doing? Eating. Yes, he's looking back at the moment when God showed mercy to Egypt. But here's, here's what Christ is also doing. He's not only looking back, but he's also looking forward to the fact that he is going to establish a new covenant. And who's the lamb? He's the lamb. Where's the blood? It's his blood. Did you get this? Why is he going to do this? To save his people. Wow. He's looking back at Passover and saying that Passover was a type and shadow of me. That Passover was to represent me, so that when you would look back, you would also look at what I'm doing for you and see, oh, just like God did for his people in Egypt. So you are now doing again Amen. in a new kind of way, not with a with a with a bull or, or, or a goat or a lamb, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. He was cutting a new covenant. What's the normal practice when you make a covenant with someone? You have a meal. Because making a covenant is a relational bond. It's a bond that is established. And when the, when the bond is established, it's usually celebrated with a meal. We do this today. I was just talking to, he just stepped out of the, out of the room, I was just talking, talking to Matt. And what is he doing right now? He's talking about how to get ready for his, uh, what is that called after the wedding? Reception. He's talking about the food. Why are they going to have food after they get married? 
Because when they celebrate, when they celebrate a covenant that's been established in marriage, they eat. If you did not eat after your marriage, you're a weirdo. Even if you did it in the courthouse, I'm sure you told your wife, your new bride, let's go eat somewhere. Yes, you did. It's just ingrained inside of us to celebrate when we've made a covenant, when we've made a promise, when we've established a contract, we go eat. Right? There's a weird kind of bond that happens when you're sitting across the table from someone eating food. It's different than when you go to, when you tell your kids or your, your wife, let's go watch TV and eat. You're just eating. You're not paying attention to each other. It's, isn't it different than when you sit at the table and you're looking across from one another and you're yeah. eating and looking at each other? It's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when you, when you tell your wife, let's go sit down at, at the TV, she goes, ah, oh, because she wants to have a relationship with you. That's right. Right? And... You could even be tossing, I actually wrote this in my notes, you could be tossing Arnie burgers back and forth to each other's, each other, but sitting at the table, even amidst those like four inch patties, there's something special about sitting across the table from each other, throwing lettuce and tomatoes at each other, but, but having this kind of fellowship and bond with each other, there's something different than saying, let's just go to McDonald's real quick. And get food through the drive-thru. Right? There's a, different, there's, there's a difference there. Same burger. No, not really. Same category of burgers. Kind of. But a completely different setting. In Exodus 24, the Lord confirms this covenant with his people. And after cutting the, cut, covenant, cutting the blood of the covenant, what does he do? In Exodus 24, he brings them as close to his presence as you can get. And while they're there, the covenant has been cut. The people have agreed. They are all in relationship with God. What do they do? Exodus 24, 11, They beheld God. They ate. And then they drank. That, that's not just in there by chance. That is purposely intentional. It's not just some random statement. Yeah, then we ate and drank. Moses is pointing out that the Lord had established a covenant with his people and to show how they had now real fellowship, real fellowship, a fellowship that you can't have outside of being that close to God. They celebrated by eating. Let let me say it again so that you get this, okay? because we're going to point it back to the Lord's Supper to point out that now they had real fellowship. If you look at Exodus 24, they were so they were on the mountain of God engulfed in his presence, then they sit down and eat and drink. He's saying that when we are this close, when there is this kind of intimacy, we can celebrate it with him. Eat and drink. Because you have now have a bond with God. That is so beyond any other bond that you can imagine. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he's going to make a new covenant in his blood with his apostles. And he sits down with them. And and I like the way John 13 shows it because there's such intimacy there. He literally strips himself down, takes off his undergarment and starts to wash his disciples feet. I mean, do you realize in the in that day, the intimacy and the implications of how close he was to them 
He was bending down and saying, I, I'm, your, I'm serving you right now. Can you imagine Jesus washing your feet? And, and, and the disciples looking at the Lord of glory saying, no, 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 I can't let you do this. And Jesus is saying, this is how close I want to be with you. But if you don't let me, then we're not as close as I want to be. Or not as close as we could be. And, and Paul, or Peter's like, well, give me a bath then. <laughs> no, just your feet, stinky, just your feet. Jesus says to them in Luke twenty-two fifteen, I have earnestly, I have eagerly, I have longed, I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Because there's going to be a new kind of fellowship that you and I are going to have together that you would never know. Apart from what I'm about to do for you. And we use this meal, this meal, as a symbol of what he did. Jesus was saying to them, use this meal that we're doing, use this as a representation or use this as a, a reminder of what I have done for you. Not what I don't don't do it in a sense that Rome teaches. Don't do it that I'm going to be re-sacrificed week after week. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a once-for-all completed work of God. Each time you eat of this Passover, remember the new covenant. Exodus, or Luke twenty-two nineteen says, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and likewise... The cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup, this body, this blood, not bulls, goats or lamb, but me. It is his blood that is being shed on our behalf. This promise was given by God to the prophet Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31, 31, saying, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What covenant is he talking about? The covenant we just mentioned in Exodus 24. Why? He said it's not going to be like that covenant because they broke that covenant. You get that? It's not going to be like the one in Exodus chapter 12 or 24 because they broke. He goes on to say they broke that covenant. This is a new covenant. He goes on to say, and I will, verse 33, I will put my law within them. And I will write it where? On their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. This new covenant with the people that God, of God is a law that he would write on their hearts. And a law that they would long to obey. Why? Because he wrote it on stone before. They looked at it and they disobeyed. Yes. So he's going to take it deeper than stone. He's going to write it on the flesh of your hearts. Wow. So that not only would you, not on, you would not only look at 